I'm Renee von Medding. Welcome to Disordered, a podcast about food, our relationship with our bodies, and learning to live and love yourself again. I am not an expert in eating disorders, but I am someone who has lived with one for almost two decades. I'm not here to give medical advice, but simply to try and unpick some of the complexity of disordered eating through a series of conversations I will have with people who are speaking from first-hand experience. Disordered eating will impact each and every one of us at some point in our lives. I want to delve deeper. At what point does disordered eating become an eating disorder? Through looking closer at the spectrum of these mental illnesses, I hope that you will be challenged in your own view of what an eating disorder looks like. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking to Darren Kennedy, Irish television presenter, fashion columnist and style entrepreneur from Dublin. As a well-loved personality on our screens, he exudes confidence and charisma. However, Darren recently opened up about his struggle with anorexia in his teens and early 20s. It was a pleasure to speak to him about this really important issue and to start opening up the conversation when it comes to men suffering with eating disorders and disordered eating. Thank you, Darren, so much for coming in to talk to me today about all of this. My pleasure. God knows where it's going to go. Let's see. Who knows? Let's just chat <laughs> and we will, we'll, we'll, it will take us where it takes us. Um, get straight to it. Tell me a bit about yourself, your background, uh, siblings. Yeah, so I'm, I'm one of three. Yes. Technically four. I have a brother who never joined us in this world. He was still born, but we still talk about him, Michael. He was Gorgeous. actually nine months older than me. No, sorry, not nine months, 11 months older than me. Wow. Um, so yeah, so we still, you know, I always th- kind of, it's kind of a funny one. Someone says, how many siblings do you get? And I'm like, three, two. And then kind of, then you're like, well, yeah. actually, and sometimes it's just a bit awkward. Yeah. But no, I do, um, I'm one of four, but grew up in a household of three kids. Yes. Um, so I'm the middle. I have a, an older brother who's five years older than me. So quite an age gap. And then my younger sister, who's six years younger than me. So wow. it's 11 years between them. So I am very much the middle child. I kind of straddled both aspects of like my brother's teenage years before I was a teenager, stealing his clothes and his aftershave <laughs> and all sorts of things. And then my sister, who was significantly younger and like playing with her dolls and pretending I didn't braid the doll's hair. <laughs> uh, and then mum and dad, who, um, you know, we grew up in Dublin and they're all thankfully still with us and happy and healthy and you have their own families now. There is no way to tell if a child is going to develop an unhealthy relationship with food. Most children start off as a blank slate and slowly their habits and behaviours are solidified in their formative years. Encouraging healthy behaviours in your children can go a long way to instilling a long-lasting and healthy relationship with food. Even when you, as a parent or caregiver, help to instill a very positive relationship with food, it's important to remember there are many other factors that can contribute to the development of certain behaviours around food. Consider approaching food and meal times with positive language and actions. Good and bad foods should never be a topic. Eating together as a family can be a simple way to open up the conversation with your kids and show them by example that food is there for nourishment and contentment, not as something to punish or reward yourself with. Listening and respecting their preferences can go a long way in helping them develop their own relationship with food and mealtimes. One very Irish habit is eating everything that's on your plate. This is not helpful as it encourages eating beyond fullness. We want our children to listen to their bodies and enjoy the process of eating. 
how would you have like described your childhood? Was it just quite normal? Like, you know, just around meal times and like, you know, body image and all that. Like, was it just kind of normal Irish family? Oh, or, yeah. totally yeah, normal. Yeah, yeah. Like it was kind of like a bum fight. Eat it while it's hot and there mm-hmm. or else it's gone. And I was the king of it as well. So yeah. I loved kind of like I've always loved my grub like yeah. and actually I was looking at pictures of me as a baby my mom sends me random pictures on whatsapp every now and again I was a proper little chubster yeah. like and loved life yeah um and I've always loved food yes and food is a big passion of mine and then with my younger sister she had the appetite of literally a sparrow and mom was constantly like, Andrea, eat your dinner. I have one dinner. of those. Yeah. yeah. One of our daughters is like that. And the really? other just eats everything. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very challenging. I bet it is because <laughs> I kind of look at it now with my sister's kids. And like, obviously, if they don't eat the meal you've cooked and prepared for them and they want chocolate Stressful. or sweets. Yeah, because you're worried about their nutrition. A yeah. lot. I didn't see that when I was obviously, yeah. you know, I was, let's say, 11 and my sister was five and mm-hmm. she wouldn't eat anything. The only thing she would eat, and this child was literally raised on potatoes. <laughs> like, you couldn't get any more cliche. She loved potato. Great. Well, if you're going to like one food, like potatoes is a good option, It's a good right? option. But like her meat or her veg or her beans or whatever yeah. else was on the plate, she wouldn't eat. And yeah. ma'am, there was always a constant battle. But essentially, me and my sister then kind of created this pact that I was finishing off her plate. <laughs> so eating the things that she didn't want, she got the kudos of, well done, you've <laughs> dinner and I got extra food so like it was a win-win it was kind of like how I imagine like you know the the little birds in the Serengeti that live off the back of the elephant skin <laughs> yes. eating the parasites are, are you the elephant in this I don't know I don't know what or? I am I don't know if I, I think I'm the elephant and the parasite rolled into one um so it was kind of like me and my sister oh my god I just described me and my sister as an elephant and a parasite anyway um so, so that was kind of like growing up. So I loved, loved food. Like one of my earliest memories, it's so funny, of like being so, so happy was I would come home from school and my mom still tells me this preschool and I loved He-Man. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to be He-Man. Yep. And my mom, the only, it was the only time she could get me to stop talking as well was when she put He-Man on and literally it was a VHS cassette. And like it was probably the same episode nine times out of yeah. ten because they only showed it once a week yeah. but every day when I came home from school I had a sandwich and I watched He-Man and then I would run around with my plastic sword saying by the power of grace <laughs> and that was one of my happiest times and it's associated with this like oh my god when I think about it now I loved um, sandwiches with brown sauce and cheddar cheese and butter it was just heaven right <laughs> do you still love them no oh <laughs> I wouldn't touch it with a barge bowl um, oh and I also used to love corned beef uh, right and I now I almost became vegetarian in my teenage years until my mother told me well you'd be cooking for yourself but I remember I have another vivid memory sorry I know I'm probably going way off track That's here all right. but I have another vivid memory of being in the kitchen and one of my favourite things to eat also was like um, white bread with butter and corned beef and I remember one day looking at the slice of corned beef and picking out the jelly bits, as I call yeah. them. And I said, oh, mom, I really love the jelly bits, which obviously are fat. <laughs> and I would like pick them out first. Just put some fat on top of the oh, butter. <laughs> yeah, and like I look at it now and I'm like, that actually kind of makes me want to vomit. Um, so long story short, I always love food. Yeah. Um, and my parents, um, you know, they, they like I was, a, I was a big lad growing up. Like I was kind of... I wasn't. I won't say fast, but like I was. I was stocky. Yeah. And like the football manager wanted me to play football yeah, because he yeah. thought I'd be good. Yeah. 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 Little did he know. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> when does disordered eating become an eating disorder? 
It's difficult to differentiate between the two. In Ireland, due to the toxicity of our diet culture, so much disordered behavior has become normalized and even accepted. In fact, dieting is one of the most common forms of disordered eating and can often be masqueraded as healthy living, even though it is anything but. Some examples of behaviors which can be disordered are calorie counting, restricting food groups, rewards, and exercising to eat. For many people, disordered eating can be the precursor to a full-blown eating disorder. Research has shown that dieting is one of the number one causes of the onset of an eating disorder. So do you remember then when that changed? Like, was there, you know, a, a definite moment in time when you kind of your relationship with food changed or when you started viewing yourself differently? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I was always kind of known, as I said, as basically the dustbin. Mm. And I ate and I kind of got kudos for that. Even yeah. like my, I had a cousin, same age as me, never finished his food. I always finished food. I took a second portion. I, there was kudos. That was seen as a good thing. Mm. Um, and so, and I was more than happy with that. And then I remember I was about 15. Mm. So obviously lots of things going on when you're 15 yeah. years old. And we were at a family um party gathering in my uncle's and aunt's house and I was tucking into the food like there's no tomorrow and I remember my uncle and it's always stayed with me he said um oh that's fine now but give him a couple of years and that'll all catch up on him yeah and I remember kind of going hmm that's an interesting comment and yeah. like oh is he trying like am I am I getting fat yeah essentially yeah. was what and that was the seed that planted there and how did that progress? And I should say, unbeknownst to him, obviously. Sure, no yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I think so many people just, even now, just say things and you don't realise that yeah. that can stick with someone for years, you yeah. know? Yeah. So how did that kind of progress then? Um, it progressed in, I guess, it was it kind of lay dormant for a while, hmm. maybe for, you know, a year or so. But definitely then I did my leaving cert and I started in university um, and was also kind of coming to terms with who I was, my sexuality and all that. So that became very much intertwined. Mm. Um, and I felt like almost like I didn't have any control or like so many different things were happening in my life that I didn't want necessarily and that this was all spiraling. But yet my physical appearance and what I looked like was something I could control. Um, and then eating too much and was I getting fat and I was going to be, you know, and there was just so many things kind of like snowballing in my own head. Um, so I remember thinking, oh, I need to watch this. And I effectively at one stage started what since became the special K diet. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking, but like I lived on a bowl of cereal and a sandwich and a bowl of cereal or else I would have a bowl of cereal a normal dinner which for me was not enough yeah. because like you know I was active and stuff like that and maybe another bowl of cereal if I was starving and the weight dropped off me yeah. like literally and then I was probably exercising to excess uh, like I would you know and when I say to excess like you know it doesn't mean I was in the gym five days a week I wasn't even in a gym back then but like I was walking everywhere I, I think I did dance classes like I was doing a lot of more activity intentionally on purpose yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was that was that must have been around my first year of university, and um, I do remember people saying, "Oh my God, you've lost so much weight!" Or... And was that like a positive thing from other people? Oh yeah, I was delighted. 
Yeah. 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 And were other people saying this is amazing kind of? Well, or... not necessarily. Okay. But in my head, it was like, oh, my God, this is good. They're but noticing. then I was also going, God, I obviously had the weight to lose. Yes. Do you know? Yeah. So it was kind yeah. of like a double whammy. Like I was never like, oh, perfect. I'm done. I can like relax or whatever. Like so I when people would say, God, you've lost a lot of weight. I go, oh, OK, thanks. But then the second part of that, the ricochet was always I must have had weight to lose. Maybe I have a bit more to go. Yeah. And it would almost kind of spur you on. Yeah. Yeah. And like I don't know. I remember one particular girl in college saying it to me quite pronounced. And I don't know, actually, if she was saying it was a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. Like she was just remarking on the fact that I had lost quite a lot of weight. Also coupled with this was the time where I really started going out. Yeah. So I was eating less and drinking more, which yeah. is not a good combination. Yeah. At any point, did it kind of turn from people kind of just commenting on, oh, you look great. Did anyone start saying, I'm worried about you? Like, did your parents or? They never did, to be honest. They oh, just kind of assumed it was just like college and yeah. no one had any idea. Yeah. to be honest with you and it was only up until fairly recently when I spoke about it publicly like mm. my mum and dad were shocked wow okay so they just never they had knew. no idea wow. because I had the cover of always being the person who eats yeah. and is take care, takes care of his food and mm. he'll eat so if anything my parents would have probably thought the one thing we don't have to worry about with Darren is he getting enough food Yeah. that probably would have been the last thing they would think of when it comes to and I knew that mm. and I kind of used it to my advantage so yeah. like no one ever monitored my food no one ever watched if I was or wasn't eating mm-hmm. if anything they were doing that with my sister Sure. do you see what I mean yeah. So I, and I knew that yeah you know. So you kind of well, played no it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I I played, I used that to my advantage. Okay, so how did they take it? Like, how did your loved ones take it when they were like, "What?" Mom was like, "No, you didn't. No, you didn't." Dad was like, "What are you talking yeah. about?" And my like, they were all kind of shocked. Yeah, and then I explained to them what I was doing, which they never saw it. And yeah. why would they? Because I hid it from them. Yeah. So. As I said to them, it was no reflection on them. It was more a reflection on what was going on with me. I'd been bullied in school. I'd had various other things going on. And this was the one area I could control. Um, and uh, and I took control. Yeah. So they kind of, to be honest, we had a conversation where they were, it was kind of in disbelief. Mm. And like almost to like, almost jokey, but it is jokey. But I kind of said, so I'm not going to, <laughs> and I have a great relationship with my family. And we talk about everything. And we're very like, we're very vocal. Mm. Um, but I actually at one stage said, I know what I was doing. I don't need to debate it or prove it. Like, And it's yeah. in the past, but this is what happened. Because yeah. they were that incredulous. Yeah, yeah. Something which is not discussed very much is the correlation between being LGBTQ plus and developing an eating disorder. While there is still much research to be done on the relationships between sexuality, gender identity, body image and eating disorders, we know that eating disorders disproportionately impact some segments of the LGBTQ community. Research shows that, beginning as early as 12, gay, lesbian and bisexual teens may be at higher risk of binge eating and purging than heterosexual peers. When you are coming to terms with your identity, disordered eating can be a way of taking back some sort of control. There are many potential factors that play a role in this, Fear of rejection, internalized negative beliefs about oneself, and the possibility of discrimination can cause an internal struggle, which, as we have seen, can manifest as disordered eating. Now, you're talking about control, and obviously control is probably the the main thing that most people have in common when it comes to any sort of disordered eating, because it is a way of kind of taking back control when you feel out of control and one of the interesting things that I've been looking at while we've been doing like this podcast is 
you know, the, the groups of people that kind of suffer disproportionately from disordered eating and one of those groups obviously is the lgbtq plus community like when i when my eating disorder developed i guess i had no idea that i was not straight you know mm. um but like have you see, found I did. that see you did mm. yeah so i guess it's yeah it's just it's an interesting thing that um a community can suffer so much more from something and it's not really talked about like do you find that it's talked about at all well, it certainly hasn't been talked about in my experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do. I mean, it's interesting because obviously the stats from Belong To have shown that during lockdown mm. that LGBT people, young people um, suffered far greater sure. mental health issues, suicidal ideation, all these things than their um, heterosexual counterparts because of being stuck in households where they don't feel they belong and whatnot. Um, and I think um, in terms of body image and I mean, in the gay, like, funny enough, I went to Mykonos for the first time last summer, right? And I'd never been to Mykonos. And, like, I'm kind of like, I don't really need to go to, a, like, a gay place to have fun. Like, I went to Sitges twice. I hated it. I thought I was like, <laughs> oh, this belongs in the 80s. Yeah. I can see why it had its place then. Yeah. Ugh, it's seed. Anyway, so I went to Mykonos. And, oh, my God, it was amazing. Really? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I had the best time. But, interestingly, I remember one day we went to Jackie O's Beach Club. Right, which anyone who's been to Mykonos or even not, they'll have seen it on Instagram. And it's just like, and I remember I put something on my Instagram stories and literally all my friends were like, are there any women there? Because it was literally, <laughs> I'd say, a couple of thousand men. Yeah. But they were all, most of them were like very scantily dressed mm -hmm. and like just etched from, you know, the hand of Adonis himself. Yes. Like just this. And I kind of was like, and like I felt so insecure mm. and I'm like and then I actually went do you know what 99% of these people are not laughing they're not smiling yeah. they're not enjoying yeah. I said this is a part of gay life that mm. I have no interest in yeah. and we had the crack eating disorders do not discriminate there are so many ways in which they manifest themselves and men suffer disproportionately in some aspects of eating disorders Muscle dysmorphia, sometimes referred to as bigorexia, is a type of disorder which refers to attempts at pursuing a body figure that is ultimately unobtainable. Someone who is suffering from muscle dysmorphia may focus unduly on an ideal body that is more muscular than their own. People with muscle dysmorphia may feel shame, anxiety, guilt and embarrassment due to their physical appearance. They usually have intensive and preoccupying thoughts and they feel they have to punish themselves. Rigorous fitness regimes and misuse of muscle-building drugs, as well as engaging in abnormal eating patterns, can all be an indicator that an individual may be struggling with muscle dysmorphia. Muscle failure, osteoporosis, heart and kidney failure are among some of the risks associated with muscle dysmorphia. Depression is often coexistent with the condition. There was a huge rise in um, eating disorders among men, Mm. That wasn't really being discussed, which so it's great to be discussing it now. But it often manifests in ways that we we didn't suspect. I mean, much like my parents never suspected that I wouldn't be eating correctly. But like there's there's young guys, and particularly you know, fueled by by Geordie Shore culture or you know rugby or whatever it is, and it's all about beef uh, bulking up, carb binging, and then like bulimia. So yeah. again, it's this muscle thing. Um, so like that is an issue that we don't talk about and that we don't necessarily you see a, you know you see a young lad and he's built like a 
you know, a shit brick house and you think, well, he's the picture of health. Yeah, and you would never, could have ever, an eating ever think that someone yeah. like that would have exactly. an eating disorder. Yeah. Because we, in our minds, and I guess what we've been shown through media over the years was that an eating disorder meant stick thin anorexia or bulimia. Absolutely, um, and, it's, and it's not true. The drinking culture in Ireland can often disguise the struggles that many people face. It's often used as a mechanism to numb difficult feelings and as an escape from the reality of day-to-day life. Being aware of your own mental health is important when deciding to engage in the party scene. Finding new coping mechanisms and building up resilience while also turning that energy to a new focal point. Developing a new love of food or exercise but from a healthy perspective can be incredibly healing. For example, some people who recover from eating disorders go on to dedicate themselves to a sport as a way to channel their recovery into something positive and to take back control of something that was once so painful to them. And like I could I could eat for Ireland, but yeah. I can stop it as well. Yeah. So like I can do it for an evening or for a weekend. Yeah. But then I know it has to stop on yeah. Monday because I feel crap. Yeah. I feel like, oh, I feel sluggish. Yeah. I feel bloated. I feel yeah. all those things. So it's not, yeah. you know. That was something we were talking to um and we were talking to Harriet, who is uh, from Bodywise, and she was, uh, you know, I was kind of like, at what point, because we all have disordered eating, like there's not a person in Ireland who hasn't at one point said, oh, no, I won't eat that because of this, or I'm going to mm. eat less because tomorrow I'm doing this, or, you know, they've, they've binge, you know, eaten or whatever. There's not one person who hasn't done that. I don't care what you say. Everybody has done that. But it's at what point does that become a problem? And she was saying it really like obviously there's a lot of factors and no eating disorder is the same, but it's at the point that it becomes something that you have to do Mm. when it becomes a compulsion, when you cannot stop binging or when you cannot stop restricting or when you cannot stop purging or you cannot stop exercising. So it's like at the point when you can't live without doing that Mm -hmm. thing, you know, but it it definitely is like the spectrum. Yeah, it is. I mean, for me, I, I guess it was probably one of at, at its most damaging when I wasn't really eating or I might have like two sandwiches in a day to mm. sustain myself. And you're still growing, you're still like in my teens. But then I'd go out and drink all night. Yeah. So like obviously the alcohol gets into your system so much quicker. Like mm. you're, you know, um, I'm surprised nothing ever really happened to me. Yeah. Like dangerous, you know, would thank God, touch wood. But it's like when I look back and I was like, oh my God, like if I went out now without a full solid meal, like I can But if, interestingly... I now can't, if I'm out on a night and I haven't had dinner, I have to leave the bar or whatever. I can't, I'm not one of these people who can just drink through hunger. Yeah. I have to eat. Yeah. Um, which is great because it minimizes hangovers. <laughs> Good tip. Top tip, top tip. Recovery for some people is a very definite process. While many people feel the need to maintain their recovery daily, others get to a place in their lives where they feel very secure in what they've learned and do not worry about falling back into old habits. So do you consider yourself completely recovered? Or do you feel that, you know, if there were some really stressful time in your life when you felt out of control, that it, it could be something that you would fall back on? Um, I feel educated. Yeah. And that is empowering. Hmm. And I understand my body. And my body is a different and unique um, vehicle than yours or than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the problems when we come to body image, which obviously relates directly to, um, you know, eating disorders and so on, is that we're kind of 
we're oftentimes fed a one-fits-all rule and it just isn't the way and I think if you can tune into what works for your body mm. well then you're, you're on to a winner and it's like I keep fit I'm aware of um, nutrition mm. I love food I love taste I like tasty things um, and I learned a lot actually I w- worked on the first three series of Operation Transformation yeah. and um, I was a producer on season one two and three and then I was a reporter and all the rest but I used to work very closely with the nutritionist and I paid very close attention and I learned a lot from her. Things that I really should have learned in school. But because I didn't do home ec, I went to an all-boys school, we didn't even have home ec. I never learned the basics of nutrition. Yeah. And I think young people are far more aware of that these days because there's so much more information available. But I, So that's how I actually educated myself. Um, so I, that was the, the probably the most empowering thing. But then also understanding my own body and the limits to what, I, what my body can take. Mm. And what I mean by that is... For some people, if they look at a cake, they gain a stone. Mm. For other people, they can eat a cake every day and they never change. You know, if, if sweets are your thing, right? And I have an awful sweet tooth. But I kind of know how far I can go with that. So I still eat, like, I've actually been eating far too much chocolate lately over the past couple of weeks. Like, literally every night, loads of chocolate. But I kind of know my limits. Yeah. So that, for me, works. So do I think I... I just understand food and my relationship with it. Yeah. So it's not an issue for me. For many, finding their tribe and support network is crucial to their recovery. Surrounding yourself with supportive and loving people can help you in your journey. But primarily, learning to love yourself in every sense of the phrase is key to any kind of healing. For some people, learning to accept themselves in other areas of their lives can have a positive knock-on effect when it comes to recovery from an eating disorder. Education is another key element both in recovery and prevention. Informing the younger generation about mental health would be a positive step forward in creating a better understanding around food and body image issues. This is becoming more prevalent in today's society. And do you kind of feel like what you went through was so long ago that you feel like a different person or... Um, oh yeah, I'm 100% yeah. a different person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much. Well, no, I'm the same person. I know, you're just, yeah. Um, and I mean, God, the, like the period we're talking about is like Darren, 17, 16 year old Darren's like Baby. lost, yeah. completely lost and so afraid, actually full of fear of lots of things. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, my family unit was actually a source of comfort and safety. It was everything outside of that. Um, but then the, the kind of the real eye opener for me was kind of finding my tribe. Mm. And do you know what? Part of my tribe is just women. Yep. And like I went to an all boys Christian uh, Christian brother school and that was very GAA orientated. And for, obviously for a lot of people, that's perfect. It wasn't for me. Yeah. And like so even going to university and being in a, and I did like business and languages. So there was like a probably 70 percent female. Oh, I was home, <laughs> you know, and that just like that just like is that's where I started to kind of come into my own and, and yeah. develop the person that I am and kind of become comfortable with the person that I am. Obviously, being in the public eye, in the media, like, do you ever feel pressured from kind of that side of things? Sometimes. Yeah. 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 I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I mean, again, less and less as mm-hmm. I kind of um, grow more into my own skin. Um yeah, particularly when I first started going to like London Men's Fashion Week uh, yeah. and I kind of became part of that cohort of, of guys who, you know, were on the front row and whatever. And you're kind of sitting alongside models or pe- fitness people who like that's their job. Yeah. It was never my job. 
My, yeah. my job is essentially to talk, yeah. uh, which is a different kettle of fish. Now, you know, so I remember in the first few, especially summer, mm. especially when there was summer ones because yeah. people were wearing like less clothes. Yes. Um, but then that kind of, uh, I guess I've an, I'm comfortable enough in my own self, those little things, um, you might waver, but I always kind of was solid enough in my own belief and what I was what I was about and where I was at. And again, the education and knowledge around food that it never yeah. never became yeah. an issue. Yeah. But I was, and I also had self-awareness enough to know when I might be feeling those things or why and, you know. Yeah. What would your hope be for kind of future generations of, you know, teenagers? Um, I just hope that we can educate our young people. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it. Education is the key. Yeah. Um, to um, a healthy mind, a healthy body and a healthy approach to life. It's obviously, listen, if it was super easy. Yeah. But I remember, again, just a random thing. In the first year of Operation Transformation, we did a Vox Pop in some school up in Finglas or Ballymun. And we brought a selection of everyday vegetables. 90% of the kids could not identify the vegetables. Wow. And they didn't realize that a chip came from a potato and various other things. So that's education. You know, you yeah. need education there fundamentally. And that was mind-blowing. Because yeah. you're like, these young people, and they're not to blame. Yeah. Thank God, when I was 17, 18, or whatever, that social media wasn't Oh, thing. Jesus. I all, yeah, I all, yeah, no. Would have, like, I don't think I could have coped. Yeah. I don't think I would have ever yeah. gotten better in any way. Yeah. So I do worry about my nieces and my nephews and stuff, because they're very young. But already, you see, they, they notice things. Mm because they're seeing it and they're not even allowed on social media but then they they're on YouTube whatever they get they're smart right and they find ways around it or they're talking to friends in school who have seen X, Y and Z and they're saying things and you're like God why like she's six and a half and she's saying my belly looks fat you're like yeah. no 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 so that's why it's Jesus like, have you ever watched Peppa Pig they're constantly like I'm fat shaming they're fat shaming daddy pig constantly Are they? we banned Peppa Pig for a while but then our second daughter was born and then we were like fuck it yeah. <laughs> you know all <laughs> the we, all the rules went out the window when number two came along Classic. but, but um, no it's bad like Is they're it? yeah. yeah no it, they're constantly being like daddy pig you can't do that because you you have a big belly. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's really bad. So it's, it's you know, and then I see my sister and she's doing her best and they're all doing their best. It's very hard because there are obviously so many other um, outside influences and that's the thing. It's yeah. building, you know, resilience and strength of character. Yes. No matter how someone looks or acts, you never truly know what's happening in their lives. Darren's story is a perfect example of this. His own family had no idea the struggles he was facing beneath the surface. While on the outside a person may look incredibly happy, they may in fact be struggling with their mental health. Always check in with your loved ones, even if they seem okay. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming in and uh, chatting to me. I think it's it's really important, obviously, to show that, one, I think that people can go through these things and even their families might never know mm. until they actually talk about it. So like you think you know people and you think you know what they've been through, but clearly we don't always know. No. You know, So always being kind to people because you just don't know what someone's going through. Um, and also obviously that men suffer too. Yeah, absolutely. And But the problem I think sometimes with men is we suffer in silence yes. more so than, than women. Yeah. So it's about getting the conversation and... and um, you know, opening up a dialogue. Yeah. So what you're doing. So well done. Thank you. If you need medical advice, please speak to a professional. 
You can contact BodyWise, the national charity for eating disorders in Ireland, on 01-210-7906. Or you can get in touch with the Marino Therapy Centre, specialists in eating disorder recovery, through their website on www.marinotherapycentre.com. Thank you again for listening, and I hope that this conversation has been helpful to you in some way. I'm Renee Von Medin, and this has been Disordered. Disordered.